jobless claims are still going strong. And the numbers that a lot of people have hypothesized here, and, and there's, there's articles upon articles about this stuff, is that right now we're currently at 211,000. And so what that means is that's the moving average of jobless claims. And a lot of people believe that until the four-week average gets into like the three-and-a-quarter range, 325,000, somewhere around there, that the Fed is not going to be happy. And this is just a data point. Now, a lot of these data points have been right. So this is based on what's happening. And, and until we see jobless claims fall, we could see more of this. And it, it, coming out of this meeting, it was very interesting. And this was two weeks ago. I was happy they didn't raise rates. I thought it was right. a good thing, right? And then Fed comes out and they just start talking all this, well, we did this now, but we're really concerned about what's going to happen and we're probably going to have to raise rates again and we're definitely not cutting them and blah 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 and they go on and on about how bad things are yet everyone else is saying we're in a restrictive environment right now and that's to me is what keeping mortgage rates and the market where it is because they're reacting to the comments not the actual policy decisions mm -hmm. and i mean we see all the time when comments can affect many many things <laughs> somebody throws out a comment and yes. you know all heck breaks loose um so yeah the less that they say is probably the best um now when we talk about these jobless claims i mean that's that's unemployment mm -hmm. so that means that these are individual people <laughs> so they're and that's what they're hell-bent on too is getting that number higher so having more people unemployed um and I guess that's going to trigger people to stop spending money, and maybe that will affect their numbers. But to me, that's a really not a good way <laughs> to solve the uh, to solve the problem is to make people unemployed. Yeah, and and that that's you know that that's that's the thing to think about here. So I've got a little bit of a dated article, but this comes out from Axios, which is a data service, and um, you know we we look at people who file for unemployment benefits. That's where this number comes from, and. You know, the, the, the issue with that is that, um, you know, that not everyone's filing unemployment, right? So there could be more people without jobs, but maybe they're deciding, hey, you know what? I'm going to stay home with my family, so I'm not mm -hmm. going to file for this. Or they're, they're, they're working on getting another job and they don't want to file. Or there, there's, some, there's some other, maybe they got a severance package. You know, you, you don't right. know. And, that, that, and I, I, it, it's, it's, uh, it's reliant on filings, not the actual state of the economy. So that's one factor here. Mm -hmm. No matter what happens, I mean, we've got another Fed meeting in a month, so we're not going to hear anything until the beginning of November about what happens here. And the, the Fed might might need to calm down a little bit. Uh, and, 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 but I don't, I don't think they're going to, and I think that, that's the challenge. So we've got all this stuff happening here. I, I don't see rates coming down. We've talked about this many times. So now how do consumers react to this? Because we're, we're here to talk about real estate. So Zillow had a consumer report that just came out. And it reveals four, I thought, major takeaways for home buyers. Uh, and I, I want to get your um, your take on each one of these. So, in this survey and in this report, fifty eight percent of prospective buyers said they've been home shopping for at least the past six months. One in five say they've shopped for between one and two years. Wow. And one in seven have been shopping for three years or more. And compared to you know, prospective first-time buyers, that's 51%. Repeat buyers uh, are about 62%. Um, are, they're more likely to uh, be shopping for a home in the last six months. So does that create 
an opportunity for agents knowing how long some of these people have been out there. I mean, and, and then of the respondents, 49% said they were waiting for the housing market to become more favorable to buyers. That's half. What, what do you yeah. see in terms of, like, what guidance should agents be giving to folks here? Because this is what buyers are feeling in the market right now. Yeah, um, well, I, I have to, I would really want to sit down with my clients and make sure that they understand what's really happening in the mm-hmm. market, especially at the local level. Um, and just give them some background about where we were, where we are now, where we were historically, and where we are now, um, and how, how the market is not going to crash, because we still hear that too. Um, and I have to find out where they are and what is their motivation, because that's really telling to me where they are as far as how serious they are about making a purchase. Do they have a house to sell and they want to you know, and they do want to buy, do they, can they buy first? There's so many things that you have to find out first before you can guide your folks. Um, The people that the 14%, one in seven that had been shopping for three years or more, um, they, to me, might be the ones that don't have real motivation to move. They're just looking for the perfect opportunity. And then they're also the ones that missed out on the lower interest rates. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So they could be part of the ones that are sitting around waiting for the market to crash or prices to drop. So um, I'm not sure how motivated that group of people are. Um, The people that are shopping between, you know, the one and two years, I I still meet with a lot of those that are in that range. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, they they might be, they might have a house that they are, it's livable for them, but they're outgrowing it. Um, And it just, they just haven't been able to make that, you know, that initial move to, to list it. Um, but the 58% that have been shopping for the past six months, uh, you know, they're, they're coming into the market where the interest rates were higher anyway than those people that were in, you know, three or more years ago or even two years ago. So they might not be as, um, Mm -hmm. jaded by the quote high interest rates, unquote, um, that it just, the rates are what they are and they, you know, if they have a real need to move, that's what you really have to distill down. What is the motivation? And those people are going to transact. It's, you know, the mid-sevens and um, the low-seven interest rates are very normal, actually. Uh, you just have to educate your clients to make sure that they have a full understanding and get to their monthly bottom number. What, what What's their monthly payment? Where do they want to be? Um, have them talk to a lender. So, because the lender is going to give them all that financial information that they're going to need to make a more clear decision. So, you articulated that really well. I'm clear. I, I, I see the reason why this is happening. Why? Most agents have abandoned meeting with clients before they show properties. They think, yeah. oh, I'm just going to put them into a home. And we, we've talked about this at length. Right. And this is not going back to basics. I would say this is an advanced strategy for agents because mm-hmm. most agents don't do it, and it obviously works. Mm-hmm. And they're not educating them on what's happening in the market. So that to me is, like you said, sit down with them. That's an opportunity. And the mm-hmm. serious folks, they're going to want to meet with you and see what the heck is going on so they can understand the process. So yep. love your strategy there. So we got three more takeaways from this. Um, many buyers in the market, especially first-time home buyers, uh, they've, um, they said one of the uh, – Number one delays that prospective buyers have more than 56 percent intend to put less than 20 percent down and saving for a down payment is one of them. Um, We're seeing down payment assistance programs right now Mm -hmm. and some other things that are that are happening. So 
Is that something you're educating your buyers on at this meeting, at this, at this time when you sit down with them and show them what's going on? Absolutely, 100%. Um, because that's, that's step number one. They have to find out what kind of uh, financial products that are available to them because there's so many. Mm-hmm. There are those programs that you talked about where the lenders are going to get – oh, my gosh, it was – I guess it was last week. I heard of a lender that was giving uh, $15,000 towards closing costs um, as an incentive. So to so, me, that's so mind-blowing. Not, not a seller's assist. This not was a just seller's a, This was a lender, a gift incentive. or a creditor, whatever whatever the RESPA rules say. Yes, exactly. Okay. So to me, that was mind-blowing. Um, but, yes, you can – there are opportunities to get uh, seller assist um, and also, you know, ask sellers for, uh, you know, to buy down the rates. So I think um, when it comes down to getting, you know, conveying more detailed information about the rate buy-downs, I would then um, pass these people on to a number of lenders that we work hand-in-hand with that have so many different loan programs. Um, and whatever's going to work best for the client, that's, you know, that's where they will guide them. But there are so many options. There's as low as 3% conventional um, and you still have the FHA and the VA programs. Um, I think a lot of buyers don't know that there's a lot of flexibility in mm-hmm. these financial products. So I think to, they really need to find out what's going to be best for them because then they're going to feel better about moving forward. Okay, so we're, so we're in agreement there. Um, and then number three, the, the third reason a lot of people are delaying this decision is the short supply of homes. That's a 43% survey result of the most common reason for delayed home buying. And uh, so wh- what are you doing to get more supply in front of your folks? Because what I argue here is that they're just not seeing it fast enough. They're not, they're not in a spot where they can react quickly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it's, it, it's something it's, – it's mainly because the, the agents and their well, – or however they're searching, it's a flawed process. They're not getting with someone who can get them literally like real-time data about what's becoming available. Well, the best real-time data is in our MLS system mm-hmm. so, because that's where all the big websites pull from anyway. Mm-hmm. Zillow is pulling from our MLS. So, and there's lag time. They're like 24 to 48 hours behind. So what I do is I get the criteria that the buyers are looking for. What school districts, uh, the type of home, are you open to everything, single mm-hmm. family, townhouse, condo, whatever that may be, filter out some other options, um, and then make sure I set them up that if they're really super motivated and have like a really – quick deadline of where where they want to be like a lease is ending then i'll put them on instant so whenever Mm -hmm. a new listing hits the market they're getting a ping from me in their inbox this way it cuts down their time of looking on all those big websites and if you've ever had to do that you know how time consuming it can be um so i think that that's super super important get them on these home drips let them you know be annoying for a couple of months until they get their property and then they can disengage all that (laughs) but that way they're going to see all the new inventory and you can get you can book appointments right away and get into the property ASAP and if they love it write the offer that's been my um method that's how i've been able to get people under contract quickly well and, and you bring up something there it's a mist- and this is a, a mistake that i see sellers don't even know about is they don't they don't find an agent who's going to give them a pre-launch campaign give them a coming soon listing where there's time to ramp mm-hmm. up the marketing to the home for showings because the reality is you could see a home today. Let's mm-hmm. say you got kids or a family or a life, right? You might not be able to go look at it for three or four days. 
Right. And sometimes that's not fast enough. And right. when you give people a week or two week lead time in terms of here's when the home's going to hit the market, here's when showing start, you can move some things around and actually like adjust your schedule. So yes, so every sell if you have an agent, if you're a seller listening right now that is not launching the property in a predictable manner with a schedule in place, taking advantage of the weekend and giving it some time, you're leaving mm -hmm. money on the table. I am very clear on that. Yes. So here's number four. Uh, and then we're gonna we're gonna take a quick break here. So, the majority of home buyers, 69%, intend to finance their home purchase. Right, very normal. 23% um, in Zillow's survey of the people that answered said they were pre-approved for a loan. But when asked what it means to be a pre-qualified buyer, only one in five, 21%, uh, would use the term to describe someone who has saved enough for a down payment. And a little under one in five think pre-approval and pre-qualification are the same thing. And then another 15% said they had they no idea what it means. So since one-third of the buyers in the survey are first-time buyers, I mean, is that something you're, you're having a conversation about, how to be ready to take advantage of the market, Stacey? Yes, and this is something else I run into also. Um, because buyers, especially first-time home buyers, um, even second-time home buyers, but they'll put the cart before the horse. They actually start browsing and looking on at, at houses first and, oh, I love this house. I want to go see it. Of course, I'll take them out and go see it. And then we have that conversation. And then they realize, oh, I don't even mm -hmm. know. I don't. I not, have not talked to a lender. So I think the 15% that admitted they had no idea what it means, um, they have not probably talked to an agent. So it, that's why it's so important to get with an agent that's going to help you through this process guide you in the right direction. If you're not working with a lender, then um, most agents have trusted uh, lenders that they work with. And ours are. Um, if they say they can get it done, they'll get it done. So the pre-qualified buyer is basically they're, they're, they've had a verbal intake of information and maybe a, a credit hit. But the pre-approved or the pre-committed, um, which I love, they've mm -hmm. already been through the underwriting process. So they are super ready to go, um, and you can compete uh, a little bit more if you're already underwritten. So all of my takeaways here, and what I'm hearing from you, is that in spite of maybe the Fed losing control of the market, the rates are going to be what they are. Mm -hmm. And if you're serious about transacting, getting informed up front, this is one, it's the biggest concern people have. I mean, there's four reasons people are delaying this process. And the folks that are waiting are actually, it ends up costing them more money. I mean, yes. we've seen this over and over again or they don't get the house they want. It's one of the two outcomes. So make sure that whoever you're talking to, and if, if you're talking to an agent that's not doing this, it might be time to find a new agent, You know, get their reviews, vet them, have a strategy session, have a planning meeting, interview the agent that you're, you're thinking about hiring. It doesn't take a long time. It's maybe 15, 20 minutes tops. I mean, right. what, what, how long do these meetings take? Not too long. So it depends on how many questions they have, but not too long. For sure. Mm -hmm. and, and then you're able to go in and make an informed decision instead yes. of, Hey, Stacy, I like this house. What do I do next? Which right. is what happens in a lot of cases. So there's a lot to digest with all the things happening in the market. Home buying doesn't need to be that complicated. Neither does home selling. It's about getting the right information up front. And someone like Stacy is certainly able to do that. So we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We are going to talk about Redfin and uh, leaving the NAR, the National Association of Realtors. This is very fascinating. Uh, next on Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM. Welcome back to Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM. I'm Tom Tool. 
She's Stacey Mitchell. We have our growth manager, superstar team member, Greta Considine here as well. And Nick is behind the camera. And we all work at the Tom Tool Sales Group at Remax Mainline. So if you get some value out of this, we're on YouTube every single week. Do us a favor, subscribe to the channel, give us a like. Would mean a lot. And uh, again, we all work uh, at the Tom Tool Sales Group at Remax Mainline, the number one Remax team in Pennsylvania since 2018. Big news here about NAR. The, the story just won't stop, which is not a good thing. Mm -hmm. Because if it was not a big deal, we would this would have been the end of the story. We would have stopped talking about this weeks ago. So if you're not following what's going on with NAR, I'm just going to go over two key points. There is a class action lawsuit going to court in 13 days where the NAR is mentioned. Other large companies were part of that suit anywhere. Uh, Remax, Keller Williams, Home Services, Remax and Keller, uh, not Keller, Remax and Anywhere have settled and are no longer part of the suit. This is one of two class action lawsuits. And now Redfin came out yesterday and said they are ending their support of the National Association of Realtors. And there were two key reasons. One, NAR policies requiring a fee for buyer agent compensation on every listing. They're not the first people to break with this. Bright MLS already did that. That's the second largest MLS in the country and the one we use here. And NAR's pattern of sexual harassment. Very disappointing in general with the second part here. Probably I think that's even a larger issue than, than the first part from a, just a you know, well-being and, and, and human interest uh, standpoint. So they came out that, that this letter drops yesterday. Um, and here's the statement from Glenn Kelman, Redfin CEO. We've had many meetings with NAR execs to explore compromises on the policies that would let us continue our support. Since a Redfin-wide initiative to join NAR in 2017, we've paid more than $13 million in dues in an effort to influence NAR to advocate for open technology-driven marketplace that would benefit consumers. We'll now explore other ways to advance those goals. Ladies, what do you think about this? I think this is going to, it could set some wheels in motion. Um, you know, if they're the first one to, to um, get out of NAR, from under NAR, um, that's going to hit the NAR monetarily. You know, that right now, um, with all the negativity swirling around them, this is just one more kind of like <laughs> mm -hmm. knife in the back there um, that they don't need. They don't need any more negative, um, you know, press. But also, you know, with Redfin paying more than $13 million in dues, and they're thinking, what are we getting for those? What are we getting for that money? You know, w what's really coming of it? And they don't want to be associated with an organization that has such negativity swirling around them. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see with, you know, what precedent is set here now with them making this first move. Because as we've seen so far, there's been some other big-name brokerages that have already settled. And so, you know, who's going to be next in, you know, making this next step here would be my question. Yeah, exactly. It should really concern NAR. Um, and we do know that some of the staff at NAR have been demanding the uh, resignation of the CEO, and that hasn't happened. Um, I think where he's just waiting for his, uh, you know, the end of the year to, for his financial gain for that. Um, but unfortunately, this is what's going to happen to the organization. Yeah, and it's just makes me nervous about the industry as a whole moving yeah. forward and, you know, everything that's been going on with, you know, what's happening with buyer agency and 
how that's going to change and affect things, you know, as we move forward. Mm-hmm. Well, so th- there, there's a couple things to account for here. One, they are only th- they're actually going to stick with the local associations if they need access to the MLS. So that's part of the the monopoly that's here. Bright MLS already broke from NAR on this uniform uh, buyer agent. Uh, offer of compensation it seemed like what i mean what glenn kelman said when the harassment issues came to light that's when it came to another level and it was not lost on them that nar did not take action until after the new york times expose which i I think is a big problem that um a lot of people see and ceo bob goldberg said there wasn't a problem within the organization uh so it's and now now you've got we talked about this uh, i don't know if it was last week or the week before this is just going on and on where they've really got a clean house there and a lot of people want that to happen um so even before the sexual harassment scandal went public with the new york times redfin already left the board because of the policies around the buyer commission rule and uh they you know so it's not like i think it was the straw that broke the camel's back here if Mm -hmm. you will and uh redfin is going to require many of their agents leave nar um so you know, most brokerages are only a loose affiliation of independent agents, and none of us wants to impose a policy that could alienate any of the people who generate our revenue. Um, and that, that's what Redfin uh, CEO Glenn Kelman said as well. So, you know, there's, there, there's a lot of things happening. I mean, and especially some of these cities. I mean, you know, Houston, Vegas, Nashville, Phoenix. Um, you ha- and y- even in, um, you have to be members of the, of the an NAR in order to gain MLS access. Um, but their Redfin agents are no longer going to have to pay dues in some places. This includes markets like New York City, who doesn't have an MLS, Boston, Seattle. It really depends on the state. You know, we're, we're kind of stuck here in Pennsylvania because of our affiliation with Bright. So this, this is step one. And, I, I, you know, what we don't know is that what's the terms of, these, of the settlements with these lawsuits. Specifically, like Remax, it yeah. sounded like from what we were reading in between the lines on, they may have a similar term in their in their lawsuit as part of the settlement. I mean, we, we don't know what that what that looks like. So, and that might be part of the franchise agreements that get adjusted because it's a different model with Redfin. You're an employee. Remax, it's a franchisee. So it's obviously very different. So this is I, I'm, I'm really curious to see what's going to happen here because you haven't heard anything from NAR about these commission lawsuits, except that they're steadfast. They haven't done anything wrong. Um, Anywhere, uh, and, and REMAX, again, already settled. Keller Williams and Home Services, who's the parent company to, like, Berkshire Hathaway and some other large real estate brands, they're, they're still slated to go to trial in two weeks. Mm. So then, on top of all this, uh, uh, the DOJ now is intervening in the MLS PIN lawsuit. So this was an M, uh, this is a Massachusetts MLS, and there was a settlement agreement uh, up there for this specific MLS uh, that because it was a it was a class action antitrust buyer broker compensation lawsuit a lot smaller than the large class action ones, and then Thursday the DOJ indicates they had concerns about the proposed settlement between the home sellers and the MLS pin, and now they filed a motion to extend the deadline. So th- this is not going away, and this was surprising to me that the settlement's getting questioned now. Um, the DOJ is requesting that the court push the final approval from January 4th until March 7th of next year, so basically an extra 60 days. And just to give some intel here, and then I want to get your reaction, uh, Stacey and Greta, the MLS PIN said it was going to pay $3 million, uh, in, in settlement costs, change its commission policies, and cooperate against uh, the remaining defendants in the lawsuit. 
And apparently that $3 million was going to get broken down with 900000 going towards attorney fees, so just a little less than one-third, 200000 to expenses, so now you're at $1.1 million, 250000 going towards notifying, not, not paying them, notifying the settlement class members, oh and each of the three named uh, lead plaintiffs will get up to $2,500 for being class representatives. And then $1.6425 million would be used to pay further expenses for litigation against the remaining defendants for the benefit of the settlement class members. So I don't see a lot of settlement going anywhere except attorney's fees. Totally. And, and like, yeah. no, like two hundred fifty grand for notifying them, you can't send out an email. I mean, that's free. Uh, so, you know, they're, they're, the DOJ is now opening this up. So I've got concerns for these people that haven't settled, seeing what the DOJ is doing here in a much smaller lawsuit. What's your reaction? Yeah. Um, well, anytime the DOJ gets involved, it's concerning. Um, and it is, it's, it's amusing, these expenses. Um, who's winning here are the attorneys. Uh, so I think that, it, yeah, um, it, it was right for um, REMAX to settle and to move on from this mess because it does seem like it's getting much deeper in the weeds here. <laughs> they got off easy. Fifty-five yeah. million. Yeah, like that, that's a win. That's less than what anywhere had had to settle for. Yeah, unless I mean, who's to say that the DOJ might not get involved in all those other settlements, right? Yeah, that's just going to create further yeah. uncertainty as we move forward here until we see, you know, a few more people potentially settling or some things, you know, weeding out. Right. Yeah. I, I'm just. I think. Um, I mean, the DOJ has overturned a couple of things that were settled anyway already. Um, so, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see if, first of all, <coughs> the trial actually happens in a couple of weeks, if the other companies don't settle mm -hmm. or try to offer a settlement. Um, so I think the next few weeks are going to be very interesting uh, pertaining to all of this that's going on. So the takeaway here is that it seems like NAR is, again, tone deaf to mm -hmm. what agents – and members are saying about the organization, whether it's with this lawsuit, suits, plural, or with these sexual harassment issues that apparently are rampant, allegedly, at NAR. I'm saying allegedly, not because I don't believe them, but that's the right thing to say. So, and there's there's all these forces that are, are at work right now where you see, I mean, Glenn Kelman is a smart guy. I've seen him speak live. Um, Nick Bailey, I've, I've met a number of times, right? I mean, I've, I've seen the leaders of these organizations um, I'm a little surprised Keller Williams hasn't settled because I've got a lot of respect for Gary Keller, but there's a, you know, there's a lot going on there. They've had their own problems. I, I just don't get where NAR is coming from, and this, this may undo the entire organ organization. And when you see people leaving, right, I mean, it's not a good thing. Yeah, that's not a good thing at all. No. And I think if, you know, as, as I said, if, one, if somebody jumps ship, there's, there's going to be more that are going to see. Because where is the benefit? What, what is the 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 benefit to having being associated with that organization um it seems like everything's so negative around them at this point and they're like you said tom tone deaf mm -hmm. they're not they're not even trying to get a handle on what's going on um so i i just think that i don't know it does not look good for them and and what redfin's asking i find this to be fascinating here they're asking NAR to decouple NAR membership from MLS access um, because if we, let's say we as a company or we as a team or whatever we decided to do, we wanted to 
opt out of our NAR membership. We can't do that or we lose MLS access. And uh, that, that's you're, you're kind of handcuffed. Not kind of. You are handcuffed. You are, yeah. Right? So the, the statement from Redfin explicitly asks NAR to decouple those because um, a lot of people only join NAR for MLS access. And removing that requirement could cost them millions of dollars in membership dues. I think it if, if they remove that <laughs> requirement... I don't think NAR will be in existence. There's no reason why NAR right. would be in existence. The only reason why agents are a part of it is because we have to be to keep our licenses active. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. <laughs> no, and this is I coming from, you know, just to give some perspective here. I mean, Gre Greta has, has sold real estate in other states. It's not like she's only worked here. And that that's really important. And, you know, it, it's... What's happening now and what Glenn Kelman goes on to say is that agents shouldn't have to underwrite policies and legal efforts that hurt consumers when most of us got into real estate to help consumers. Mm -hmm. And that's part of their company's mission. You know, I, I mean, we, we can go into questioning their business model and, and the competency of their agents all you want. That statement makes a lot of sense to me. And the, the, the MLS is a direct benefit for that. And that's you know, then they have this clear cooperation rule. And it's, mm -hmm. it, they're, they're trying to get everyone to basically you got to use the MLS the flip side is New York City real estate agents, and New York City does not have an MLS. And the people that they sell tons of properties, they're wildly successful, just like all the good agents are in their respective markets. Yep. So, um, and it, it's, you know, you, you don't hear anything coming out of NAR. The only statement they had was, NAR stands by its pro-consumer, pro-competitive guidance for affiliate local broker marketplaces that ensure equity, efficiency, transparency, and market-driven pricing options for home sellers and buyers. That statement is a nothing burger. It's yeah. a it's a PR statement. It means absolutely nothing, and that's all you've been hearing from NAR lately. Mm -hmm. Just a bunch of canned statements. Mm -hmm. Pretty much. Yeah, yeah, they're not saying much. So, do you see any more companies pulling back from NAR? I do. Yeah, yeah. I think it'll maybe start a you know trend moving forward with what Redfin's done here. But kind of with back to what Tom was saying, they've got a different brokerage model where you know they have w2 employees i think they have a little bit more room to be able to make those decisions with you know looking at the broader picture of the company whereas these other brokerages are focusing on you know a lot of 1099 independent contractors and what does that mean moving forward it'd be my question mm -hmm. so again just to revisit the the remax settlement uh, I, there was a lot more information that came out about that than oh. the one with anywhere is that um that you know the uh, they they agreed Remax agreed to make certain changes to its business practices and the uh, here here's what the email said so Remax entered into a nationwide class settlement with the plaintiffs in the Burnett and Morrill cases if approved by the court the settlement proves the way for a clear path forward for the Remax brand franchisees agents removing the uncertainty of ongoing litigation smart move Remax refutes the allegations presented in the lawsuits. This forward-looking decision was made in the best interest of REMAX LLC, its agents, and franchisees. Um, after carefully considering the significant risks and costs associated with continued litigation. And then there's some speculation here um, that there, there could be changes made to the franchise uh, agreements. There could be things that are, that, 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 that I've heard rumors that Maybe they don't have to follow the code of ethics anymore. I mean, there's all these things that yeah. are that are going on, mm. and you know it's it, it's an interesting thing. So, the same guy who made that nothing burger of a statement for NAR said settlement's always an option. NAR's commitment to defend ourselves in court remains unchanged, and we're confident we will prevail. I mean, yeah, it's great. Wow. Uh, <laughs> uh, but 
I don't know if that's the best business decision here. And it's going to be fascinating to see what happens. So, I mean, and Redfin leaving is not insignificant. They've got arguably one of the best websites in the industry. So if I wouldn't be surprised if other people follow suit. Mm-hmm. And that's going to depend on the companies, too. I think Redfin's a little bit of a – they're more of a um, – trying to think of the right word here. Um, they're, they're more of a, like, a, like a rogue startup company than mm-hmm. some of these tried-and-true brands. And they're not named in the lawsuit either, so that might have something to do with it. Ooh. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk all about Greta Considine next on Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM. All right, all right. Welcome back to Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM. I'm Tom Tool. She's Stacey Mitchell. She's Greta Considine. And we've got Nick behind the camera. And we all work at the Tom Tool Sales Group at REMAX Mainline, the number one REMAX team in Pennsylvania since 2018. If you get some value out of the show here, do us a favor. Make sure to subscribe and like it on YouTube. We're also on Instagram and Facebook streaming live every week. So what we're here to talk about is our amazing growth manager, Greta Considine. So Greta's got one of those jobs where it's like behind the scenes. People within the company obviously know her, but a lot of people don't know her outside the company. So tell us a little bit about your background, Greta, first, um, who you are, where you came from, that, that you know how, how we were able to connect here, and then we'll kind of jump in on what you're doing to help people in the current real estate market. Yeah, thanks, Tom. Uh, you're too kind. So a um, little, little bit about me. I'm actually a California broker and Nevada realtor. come from uh, Northern California and uh, lived in Lake Tahoe um, prior to moving out here um, and working with Tom. And uh, my husband's originally from Pennsylvania, which is the reason why I decided to make the move out here. I wanted to start a family and um, I have a one-year-old now, so <laughs> it worked out. Yeah. A, lot, a lot of work, right? <laughs> oh, yes, a lot of work. And so, um, you know, I love, you know, still being able to be involved in real estate and, you know, the world I know, but then, you know, still have my weekends free for doing family stuff and such. So you, you had real estate experience prior to us connecting. Yeah. Um, you sold real estate. You were an agent. Mm-hmm. What, knowing what you know now, I mean, I, 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 I'm a big believer that you're actually helping a lot of agents find the right environment where they can be successful. So mm-hmm. how do you explain that to them, and how does your experience help with that? Because I don't think you really know anything about real estate till you actually sell houses. I mean, you've probably gone through this as well, Stacey. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, you know, I thought it was one thing when I got started, and, yeah, it was uh, something completely different. <laughs> and I'm sure everyone can attest to that. You, you know, have this in you know, idea of what real estate is before you get started. And then, you know, you just got to take that step and jump in. And so, you know, for me, I started off as a part-time agent, worked in property management and dealing with vacation rentals, was able to kind of generate a client base with getting started there. But even with that client base, it, you know, took me close to a year to generate the relationships to sell my first house. And, you know, a, a lot of people go through that struggle. And, um, you know, I've been able to hire agents on our team here who are able to get their first deal in their first 30 days. And I feel like that's pretty remarkable to have, you know, the support training and tools to get you there that quickly. And, you know, a lot of it is dealing with, you know, just having uh, someone to show you the ropes and say, okay, here's step A, here's step B. Okay, now we can write the offer step C. All right, house is sold. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, you know, just uh, repeating that process, um, you know, um, you know, just builds more confidence. And the more you go through it, the the easier it becomes. So, you know, it it does sound easy. Um, 
I, 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 that is still amazing to me. People can sell a house in 30 days. I mean, how long did it take oh you? Um, now, now we, you, you joined in during the COVID pandemic. So let's say once the market opened up, Stace, I mean, I think it was only a couple weeks when, yeah. when you had gotten on board. So, it was. It was shocking. <laughs> it was. Yeah. I so. mean, it took me like six months, um, legitimately. But the so. tools are, were all in place. And that's the key. Mm-hmm. Like when you join the team, I, I know we're kind of getting off subject here, but when you join the team here, the tools are all in place. You don't need to reinvent the wheel. Yeah, you don't need to overthink nope. it. And you don't then need to think about, okay, how do I, you know, design my marketing? Or how do I, you know, deal with this newsletter? Everything's kind of already in place. And then you can just kind of tap in and just start, you know, connecting with people. And you have a brand behind you that, you know, you, if you haven't sold your first home before, you, that you can, you know, rely on and say, okay, well, I maybe not have. I have not sold a house in this neighborhood, but, you know, my team member has. So when you go to the listing appointment or if you're dealing with a buyer, you can say, oh, yeah, my team sold, you know, one, two, three Banana Street up the road. And you can just have that built in, you know, confidence and rapport to build with the client. I love that. So that's awesome because, I I mean, I I, I struggle with this tremendously and i was like 22 years old i looked like i was about 14 at the time and that didn't help um when when i was really getting going so i'm a big believer and and stacy you've heard me say this internally that if we're not reaching out to folks whether it's consumers or agents you know we're, we're kind of doing them a disservice and we, we owe it to them to let them know what actually is possible in the market we just talked about this in the first segment letting them know hey here's your financing options here's a meeting mm-hmm. so do you take that same approach with what you're doing because I'm clear there's a lot of agents out there that have no idea the options that exist to get their business off the ground. A hundred percent. You know, when I was an agent, I would tell people it's good to talk to, you know, two or three lenders before you, you know, get going with things. So that way you know what your options are with, you know, um, what money you have coming in. And then it's the same thing with, you know, being an agent as well. I, you know, interviewed, um, you know, three brokerages when I got started. I always tell people, you know, it's good to See what your options are. You want to do your due diligence. And, you know, something that's good for one person may not be the best for someone else. Everyone has a different learning style. Everyone has a different capacity on, you know, the homes and they want to sell for the year, what their goals are, what that number is. And you want to work with, you know, people that you align with and you jive with. Um, You know, that's going to go a long way. Yeah, I agree. Um, So, Greta, Mm -hmm. what what was... What was um, the motivating factor to, for you to pivot and get out of actually selling real estate and being in the background to being our growth manager? Oh, so I've actually uh, bounced back and forth between, um, you know, an agent role and an office admin, you know, management role as well before, you know, meeting Tom here. So I've kind of seen um, both worlds. And, um, you know, I, I love the agent side of things. Uh, don't get me wrong, but I do really enjoy having, you know, kind of a set schedule mm-hmm. where I can plan my life around and, you know, kind of work on having that work-life balance. I, I was I was, um, you know, I guess maybe that was, you know, maybe a hiccup that I needed to focus in on more, maybe doing a bit better, you know, with my time blocking and my scheduling. And so I really like that I can, you know, have those set hours that I'm working. I can, you know, set my schedule accordingly as opposed to an agent where, you know, you might be pulled this way or that way. I can more so plan my day out. Every agent set their own schedule and time block. They'd probably be more successful anyway because most of them don't do that, right? The average agent worked 30 hours last year, so <laughs> you're still working way more than that person. So, <laughs> um, so I mean, you came from, a, from another brokerage and another brand. <laughs> what, what, what's that change been like? Because I, I think there's so much talk about, 
oh, this company's got the best for this or this company's got the best for that. And I'm, I'm a big believer that it's really about the people you're with more than anything else. So what's that been like transitioning and moving your entire life across the country in the past two, three years, having a baby and, and doing all these things? And, and, and how's, how's that? I mean, I, I think there's a lot to this is real life. I think a lot of people struggle with this stuff. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's not been easy. Um, I would be lying if I was. <laughs> it was. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, it, it's taken each day by day and, you know, figuring it out. Um, but, yeah, back to kind of what Tom was saying, you know, every broker, um, you know, has its own, you know, services that they offer. And I believe everyone, you know, is doing the best that they can and providing the best service, you know, that they can to their agents. But also, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And certain, you know, you know, if you were dealing with, you know, somebody who is not in a big brand and hasn't had that experience, they're not going to be able to show you the steps to get there. Um, you know, whereas if you're dealing with, you know, a team lead, someone like, you know, Tom who's selling 90 homes a year, you kind of have that base track record of, okay, like I saw somebody do this, all right, I, I can then go repeat it, you know. Um, whereas, you know, working with a bunch of other independent agents in an office, you're, you know, kind of on your own, swimming a little bit. Hopefully, you know, you have a mentor or someone you get along with that, you know, can kind of teach you the ropes. Uh, luckily, I did, you know, I had some lovely ladies who taught me how to do an open house and <laughs> how to write a contract and walked me through all of that. But, you know, without those, you know, lovely friends of my office, I wouldn't have gotten to, you know, the caliber that I did within my career of, you know, selling a million dollar house my second year in the business. So. Yeah, I often think about if, um, have, like you said, you don't know what you don't know. Mm -hmm. But if I didn't join the team and I was an independent agent, like what that would look like? Because I know with where we are, we do have all that support, all the training, um, and it just makes, you know, for success. Exactly. You win with people in this business, and I'm a, I'm a big believer your environment levels you up. So you want to follow Greta. You're at Sold by Greta on Instagram. Yeah, is that yeah. right? I had to look this up. <laughs> Stacy's at the number two Mitchco. You can follow me at TomTool3RD. And, again, we're streaming live every week, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram. Look up TomTool Sales Group if you got some value out of the show here. Give us a like and a follow. That would mean a lot. And we'll be back next week on Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM.